Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Akosia Ochre. And coming up over the next 90 minutes... That we stand with... We stand with uh, the persons who are hosts and panelists on these programs. And we are clear, even in the text of the statement, that press freedom is something that should not be undermined in any way. Government promises to create a conducive environment... For journalists following the weekend's attack on UTV. Also coming up, customers of Gold Coast Fund Management to embark on a three-day demonstration from tomorrow over locked-up funds. And later on Eyewitness News. The former sanitation minister argues that the motion by the Office of the Special Prosecutor is absurd, grounded on false allegations and brought in utmost bad faith and brazen disregard of Act 959. Cecilia Abinadapa, the former Minister for Sanitation and Water Resources, is in the courts, saying the court should throw away the Office of Special Prosecutor and also saying that she may be hungry if her money is not returned to her by the OSP. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... Pressure mounts on government to further reduce e-levy from current rate of 1%. That's in 15 minutes from the City Business Desk. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations, including Adrian Power 100.7 FM in Takwa in the Western Region, Sky Power 93.5 FM and Beach 105.5 FM, both in Takradi. In the Bono region on Greener, 95.9 FM in Sunyani. In Ashanti region on Ajunpa, 99.9 FM in Nkawie. In the Volta region on Heritage, 107.3 FM in Hohwe. Freedom, 88.1 FM in Sugakofa. In the Northern region on Radio Gaki, 88.3 FM in Saboba. In Upper East on Quality, 88.7 FM in Garu. And in Northeast region on Nobia, 98.1 FM in Nale Rigu. The show is live on YouTube. We are live on Facebook. We are also on citynewsroom.com and we are interactive. Join us with your messages on WhatsApp 0549-986-996. Send tweets using the hashtag City Newsroom. Tweet at Umaru Sanda or at City973. Let's settle for details of our stories now. And the first one has to do with the invasion of UTV, part of the Despite Media Group, over the weekend by NPP supporters. And they were protesting a program or comments being made by a panelist on a television show. This was a live show. There are several updates from that particular story. Akosia Hazard. 
Yes, government says it is worried by the growing level of intolerance in the political and media landscape. All this follows the invasion of the Accra-based UTV by 30 individuals affiliated with the New Patriotic Party who disrupted a live show in protest of comments made by one of the panelists. All the police have arrested 16 people allegedly involved in the incident. But speaking on the City Breakfast show, uh, Information Minister Kujo Ponkuma said government will continue to strengthen institutions mandated to protect the media. We stand 100% with UTV because if we didn't, we will not be the ones to call the police. This is an instance in which the Minister of Information is the one who called the IGP that there's something going on here. I need you to move in and contain it. This is the instance in which the Minister of Information is the one who called uh, uh, UTV management and said, this is the report we have received. We have called police, but I want you to lodge a report at the Tesano police station. This is the instance in which the Minister of Information is the one who calls the journalist and finds out whether herself and her panelists have been physically harmed or attacked in any way and if there's any support that we can make available to them. So I think the evidence is clear. We may not have put it in text in the statement, but the evidence is clear that we stand with UTV, we stand with uh, the persons who are hosts and panelists on these programs, and we are clear, even in the text of the statement, that press freedom is something that should not be undermined in any way. If you ask anybody, uh, especially because of my personal track record, if you ask anybody, we have been consistent from January 2002 dealing with the police, asking for accountability from the police. That's why I'm mentioning names. You can speak to the yeah. CID boss herself. You can speak to the NMC uh, you know, uh, uh, principles about how many times we have consistently been followed because we stand clearly with journalists, with journalism, with panelists in these instances. Could you, the other point is, the other point is. If that, I can answer your question, if I can answer. Okay, I thought you finished. Sorry. When, no, no, no. When we say that, we we also go on to encourage the media to do their work and bring cohesion uh, across the country. We are not laying blame at anybody's doorstep. I can understand how some people may want to interpret it in that particular, but I think that if you look at the evidence of everything we have done, people uh, uh, or anybody should not take that last paragraph and then now use that to flip the conversation that it means we are not committed to this. No, I think that the evidence of what we have okay. done from 2022 mm. is clear. Okay. Makujo, even the, the little trend you showed me in evidence during this interview, it should worry you. January 2022, uh, Radio Brenya. May 2022, no, January 2022, Ada, Radio Ada, May the same yeah. year, Radio Brenya, uh, Brenya, May, May 2023, Dagbon FM, October yes. 2023, UTV. That's enough of a trend to concern you that under your jurisdiction, because essentially you are the minister in charge of media, under this government, Four media houses have been attacked in this way. We haven't even added attacks on journalists. In fact, Media Foundation for West Africa revealed as far back as 2018 that between January 2017 and end 2018, there were 17 journalists attacked in Ghana. This was just in a one-year period. We haven't updated the list. So why are people getting bolder in attacking media people under your, your, your government? So, Bernard, this is, first of all, something we are very worried about. And we are worried about it because there's a growing level of intolerance that is creeping in our society. If you look at the nature even of political discourse, how bellicose uh, uh, it is becoming, uh, the level of insults and 
sometimes unfounded attacks, etc., that we are increasingly hailing on each other. The level of tolerance in our political discourse and our democracy is going down. That is why, in addition to the short-term measure, which is to essentially get the police a little, get involved and deal with this matter right now, extend a hand of support to the specific journalists and the media house that may have been affected by it, and issue a statement condemning it, in addition to the short one. That is why we called all stakeholders to the table and said, how do we address this thing? And we came up with two media support programs. One was what we call the Coordinated Mechanism for the Safety of Journalists. And the second was the Media Capacity Enhancement Program, two programs, to help sanitize the space. On the Coordinated Mechanism of the Safety of Journalists, you will recall we put a framework together, went to cabinet for a no objection, and in accordance with what the Constitution prescribes, we then handed it over to the National Media Commission to execute. Again, if you recall, the NMC uh, uh, helped us to set up an office at the old NMC premises in um, the local government enclave, just around Kempinski Hotel. And you will recall when the CTFM incident occurred with Caleb. It was this office that uh, led the investigation and quickly uh, came up with its recommendations for action. About two months ago, in our follow-up exercise, we called the NMC that. We have again noted that this office is not functioning. This office that's supposed to execute this framework is not functioning. What is the challenge? What do we do? They informed us that the Small Arms Commission has taken over uh, that office, and so they will need a new office. And again, if you check from the National Media Commission, I have informed them that we have then found a new office space for them where they can go back and start executing from this particular place as a long-term solution, because this is something that is very, very disturbing and worrying to us. And especially because of my personal background, we are keen to ensure that the interventions that the various actors have to come together to support for its full execution. Yeah. Uh, so, Kojo, so, thank you. While we do not downplay the efforts that you've mentioned, there is a view that when these press freedom rankings come out and they point to Ghana's deterioration, we, we are defensive in the way we analyze it, which is part of the reason why we are not able to stop it. Second point is that the language of, and this I'm going to MPP, MPP people, and I'll give you an example. For example, before Ameswali died, the kind of rhetoric that was used by leading members of the MPP on him, on a, on, a, on a TV station, that kind of rhetoric encourages fanatics within that party to attack media. It doesn't seem to be clamping down on that. In fact, people point as far back as 2017 when hoodlums went to a court to deal with a judge who was sitting on a case in Kumasi. So the, the thing has become like a culture where if we don't like what he's saying, we go and we, sh we show him Pepe. And the government doesn't seem to be either addressing that or, or, or admitting that properly, which is why the efforts you're putting in place notwithstanding, the trend continues. So if the um, Ministry of Information, for example, is not concerned about this, we will not be making the efforts that we are making. I share the view that you expressed that there are political actors who have language that is very unhelpful. In fact, even as of now, when government has unequivocally condemned what has um, transpired, and government was the one to call the police, that's why I've given you evidence, to intervene, you still have persons 
uh, in the corridors of power on their personal handles, tweeting support for this kind of behavior. And you would expect that the party calls such persons, if they are party officials, to order. And their superiors, if they are government functionaries, call them to order. But for us as a Ministry of Information responsible for this, that's why I've given you evidence of everything that we have done, from police EID to NMC to the stations themselves, to work to contain this. I believe what we need to do is to collaborate as stakeholders. That's why I was a bit I say, disappointed in the angle that the GJ chose to go with. Because at every point in time, we have been inviting the GJ that let us work together, GJ, Primpag, Geba, uh, NMC, that let us work together. And in an incident like this, my expectation is that um, we will then have a united voice to call out the people who are doing these excesses, including if there are people in government who are making comments that are uh, unsavory and unsupportive. We have to jointly do that. And it is in our ability to do that and ensure that the law enforcement agencies succeed in prosecuting and punishing um, uh, these people. I will be able to make these yeah. uh, issues. Just a final point. From what you've just said, it's very clear we admit that within the political party, MPP, and the government, there are differences in how things are done, and we can't control what everybody does. But the fact that our president is a former lawyer with human rights credentials who, who made his name speaking to open up the airwaves, if this is happening under his watch, we, we expect to see more strident condemnation and action from him too. Just like I've said, because you are former, uh, former journalist, people expect more from you. I dare say people expect much, much more from this, this current president and do not expect this type of thing to be happening under him. And I wonder if he has taken notice of the trends that we have discussed and if he is minded to make examples of people, even within his own party, that he will not countenance this type of behavior under him. Failing that, this is going to continue. The president, the president expects the party to finish its investigation and to use the party structures to call to order any persons who have been involved in this and not support this kind of um, behavior and does not even look on unconcerned. He expects the party to put its foot down and be firm in dealing with it. But the government, which the president leads, that's why I've given you evidence of what the government has done. The president's cabinet is the one that gave the no objection to the coordinated mechanism on the safety of journalists. The, the government, which the president leads, is the one that handed over this draft, um, you know, coordinated mechanism to the uh, National Media Commission and has been mobilizing financial support for the National Media Commission for them to execute this. It is the government led by the president that uh, mobilized resources for the media working group to embark on the media capacity enhancement program. So the president's commitment and the government's commitment has been clear. But Bernard, there are fringe elements in every society. These fringe elements may do some of the instances that I have drawn your attention to. In fact, in all the instances, not even, uh, let's say, politicians per se. Some of them are business people. Some of them are, you know, uh, uh, citizens, etc. What you need in that instance is that the law enforcement agencies must bite. That is why we don't just issue statements. I personally call the police persons responsible. That I want you, I'm speaking on behalf of the president, I want you to ensure that prosecution takes place. And I don't leave it there. I've called the police that come and give us an account of the prosecution. 
three months ago and just about two weeks ago, as I just mentioned to you, they came back that they have got some information on some of the prosecutions. They want to put the rest together and then they'll come. And I've gone further to call the NMC, you can check from the NMC, and the other stakeholders that I've called the CID. They have told me that they will be coming to an end of their compilation shortly so that we can all sit around the table and receive this accountability report from them. So the president's commitment, the government's commitment is quite clear. And I don't think that we should be pointing fingers at each other. We are not the ones who have a problem. The problem is with the fringe elements in society who do this. And those fringe elements in society, we must have a united voice in calling on the police and the courts that we stand with them. They should ensure that the law is applied. We are not going to be uh, fidgeting around it. They should ensure that the law is applied. So then I, my view is that I think we've been consistent. What we need to do is not to break ranks. We need to put our attention clearly on where now attention needs to be put. That is prosecution and the court. That we stand together with them. We right. need them to ensure that there's deterrence. So that's the Minister for Information and MP for Fasi Ayobe Kojo Ponkroma. I was speaking to Bernard Kokuavla on the City Breakfast Show today. It was a reaction to the invasion of UTV by some members of the governing party who obstructed a live television show that was ongoing. So you've heard there the position of the government and for that matter the ministry responsible for media in Ghana, Ponkroma, uh, stating the position of the government on media freedom. Bernard also called up the new Patriotic Party's Director of Communication, Richard Anhyagba, to ask him what the party's position on the matter is and what the party was doing to stop its supporters from attacking media practitioners like we witnessed over the weekend and witnessed in the past. I think that uh, our position today, or perhaps yesterday, uh, today and always would be that uh, the action that took place uh, is not one that uh, as a party we sanction because it's not consistent with our, our beliefs um, and therefore uh, we completely uh, condemn the, the steps that were taken perhaps to express legitimate concerns uh, of some of our party people who breached the securities uh, protocol of the, uh, the station to barge into the station uh, or the studio to want to express uh, their disaster. Mm. So, so you you issued... Did you issue an apology to the, the media house? Yes, we did. Um, actually, um, that same night I was there, we spoke um, off camera to address the issue and, and render an apology to them that same night, and then the occasion was given to us to come on air and do so. And then subsequently, the letter uh, we issued yesterday uh, unreservedly followed the happening despite that. Okay, so you denounced the invasion unreservedly, and then you distanced the MPP from the unacceptable act. Mm. So some people feel that beyond that, as a party, you need to take action against the party members who went to do that on your behalf. Yes. So I think that our, our party structure would, would take a look at that. We have a fully fledged uh, disciplinary committee that will take a look at that. That is uh, a responsibility about my pedigree. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that as the conversation is going on and the matter has come to the party's attention, uh, I'm sure that uh, the, the, the disciplinary committee will take notice and act appropriately. The other point is that in the GJA response to the issue, while they commend you for your 
swift apology and statement they say they are disturbed that prior to the invasion an officer of the mpp had written to the station complaining about some panel issues indeed they say that in a letter dated september 19 signed by director of finance and admin william yamua the party essentially took issue with some aspects of the tv station's programming or editorial policy as director of communications can you was mr yamua's letter sanctioned or known to you this communication to the utv people um that the, I, I came into a knowledge of the letter after it's been issued, uh, but apparently uh, it was authorized uh, from the office of the general secretary. Um, uh, but then the content of the letter uh, and the objective of the letter furthering the conversation with the media station was supposed to be a private conversation in the first place directly to them to take, uh, take notice of certain concerns the party had. Uh, but then somehow became public after they had received it. Um, it was it's in a state of us trying to engage with them to uh, register some concerns we have with their output. But uh, to your question, um, I came to the knowledge of it after it issued. Which would be unusual, because although you can't know everything happens in a party, because you are the director of communication, communication to a media house in relation to a program content should be within the remit of the director of communication. I know a party can write to a media house and invite them to come and eat rice or whatever, but in relation to empaneling, it is a, a director of communication's duty. So to the extent that you did not know about it until it was reported afterwards, it's problematic, is it not? Um, on one hand, you can say that. Um, on the other, I would say that ours uh, remains work in progress. We're working uh, to, to build... Um, on on what has happened, and I think that subsequently you won't you won't see uh, any such uh, uh, issues happening. Um, uh, but I don't, I don't. But you know, the, beyond that, I would say that yes, uh, we take notes of of how uh, unusual that is. Uh, but then the the content really represents uh, the, the conversation we want to have. And and also further, Bernard, just to clarify, the the issue really, I think that. Uh, it's a miscommunication, internal miscommunication that probably resulted in that. Because uh, on one hand, what we are we were seeking to do, what we were seeking to do, uh, was to engage them personally, which we had, you know, appointments uh, to to talk to talk to them. So the letter just went ahead of the dialogue. So we were on on the track. The communication directorate was engaging uh, to have a sit down, uh, but then the letter came. Uh, but, but would I be mistaken, or would anybody be mistaken, if they said that letter, which obviously subsequently was made public, emboldened the MPP members who went to do what they did on Saturday evening? Um, well, that can that can be uh, uh, someone's rendition, uh, but that was is not to say that that really did so. Uh, it is for us uh, to engage with them. In fact, that engagement is ongoing. The individuals who went there to do that, as we have indicated, that uh, is an unsanctioned act, perhaps just did not have the patience and probably did not understand what the party was doing to address that issue. Because it wasn't a matter that we were going to come public 
to raise that we're engaging with uh, this uh, media house to address some concerns which they share with them to kind of fix the problem. So they were probably acting on the instinct that their party was under certain attack and therefore they wanted to act. Even though uh, that uh, method uh, of trying to address the problem was wrong, um, I guess that they were not aware of what the party is doing, hence uh, their conduct. So while I accept your point that the larger party has the remit to deal with these people who want to do this, I want to push back and say, because you're the director of communications and because this is such a high-profile TV station which has been invaded, you, you, you need to be seen to be encouraging punishment for these people because they are doing this in your name. Because when you go on UTV or you go on PCFM tomorrow morning to speak, what those people did on Saturday evening was done for your party. And so whatever you say to me, I'm not going to listen because I'm going to see what they did on the TV screen. So you cannot say that punish. And so unless the party agrees with them, the, the party must show us that they condemn what they did beyond the statement. And the party must show that such behavior is unbecoming of an MPP official or member or sympathizer. So I am saying to you that you cannot say it's the party's job. You are the head of communication. You are the one in charge of the party's communication on the media. So if people have gone to a media house to disrupt a live program, you 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 you, you, there has to be action taking. For example, these guys cannot represent your party on any radio station ever because what they've gone to do there clearly, that's if you disagree with them, shows a different face of your party. Yes, certainly, Bernard. Um, if these individuals, if there were any communication person amongst them, that individual will not be deployed any longer so long as I remain the director of communication. Now, the aspect of discipline that is beyond my pay grade, uh, what I can do per your uh, urging would be to have the uh, draw the attention of the discipline committee to take a look at it through the general secretary. Uh, and that commitment exists. And if you see the statement we issued, uh, we demonstrate or emphasize our commitment to ensuring that the police have full access to whatever uh, information they need to be able to further their investigation to arrive at a certain finding that will give us all some full picture of what the motivation was and if anything uh, is found to have been done wrong, then the individuals are held accountable. So we have that commitment and we have demonstrated that we stand by that. But a specific matter of internal discipline, uh, that is something, uh, you know, we can prod the system to see it through the general secretary's office, but it won't be something that we can enforce uh, from the communication directly. Final point. If you look at the data re regarding attacks against media, in my interview with the information minister, he pointed out four instances of attacks against journalists in their studio. January 2022, Radio Ada. May 2022, Radio Benya, Central Region. May 2023, Dagbon FM in the Northern Region. And then October 2023, UTV. This is under an MPP government. MPP has said they believe in development in freedom. Indeed, between January 2017 and end of 2018, 17 journalists have been attacked in Ghana. This is Media Foundation data. Again, Director of Communications of MPP. How come journalists cannot say they are safe under your tenure? 
Well, uh, I think Bernard, uh, the, the business of uh, securing the freedoms and promoting uh, the rights of the uh, citizens to free speech and media freedom, uh, these are work in progress. These are commitments that have to be renewed on a daily basis. And so these happenings are necessarily not evidence that uh, that commitment is not present, but it's actually just a, a reminder for us that we must do more. And I can tell you that uh, there isn't any shortage of commitments by this government to advance that. Uh, your reference to uh, the Minister of, uh, for Information's letter and uh, requesting actions to be taken in these instances that you have cited is evident that the government itself has taken a certain position. Uh, the commitments of the government also to advancing uh, the freedom of expression and of uh, freedom of the media to do their work uh, uh, then I would, uh, you would attest that is, is one that has been advanced by this government. You know, over a period of uh, 20 years or more, uh, you and your colleagues have been advancing the, the need to pass the Right to Information Act. It's been done now uh, under this government. So there is a commitment. But what you see happening every so often is individual exuberance sometimes that leads to some of these happening. And what we need to focus on is that after those occurrences, what has been the government response? And you will agree with me that government has been swift and committed to ensuring that people who are going against the grain are punished and are dealt with appropriately. That must be our daily commitment. And as uh, partners, uh, we are interested in seeing that these things are prosecuted so that media freedom is not curtailed. And then you agree, and I think that your point about under MPP, uh, the media should feel more uh, freer and secure, is, uh, is a testament to uh, the belief in our value and the clear position of the party to want to advance the media freedom. And we have, we have demonstrated that uh, amply over the years, uh, and I think that what we need is to continue to, to strengthen our commitment and to work together to ensure that people who go out on the fringes to conduct uh, or commit this um, act against the media are dealt with, All right. and we must collaborate to achieve that end. So that's uh, Richard Ahiagba, he's Director of Communications of the New Patriotic Party, speaking to Bernard Avila on the City Breakfast Show. So you've just heard from the government side. We'll be hearing from the media when we come back. Please stay. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. This Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka. In Accra, we've been talking about the invasion of UTV and the reactions from government. The Ghana Journalist Association issued a statement condemning what happened and called on the government to act. Let's speak to Kofi Yeboa. He's a general secretary of the Ghana Journalist Association. Sir, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much. Now, the GJA issued a statement. The government has since been responding. These responses from both government and the party, do you deem them satisfactory? Um, um, I'm yet to uh, read the responses, but I had 
listen to the Honorable Minister of Information in the morning on a, on another radio station. And he has sought to explain a few things. For example, uh, he explained that uh, using the, the expression um, allegedly without authorization uh, is not their, their creation, but then they have picked reports from um, sources on the ground. But respectfully, I disagree with him in the job we do. Any information you use, you bear liability for that information. You cannot abdicate responsibility. So, for example, um, I'm not a lawyer, but I know that in defamation, if I work with UVW Radio and I take information from another media organization or from any source, and that information I take and publish, is defamatory and absurd. I cannot say um, I'm not the originator of that um, information as a defense. You you will also be liable. So if um, the honorable minister picked information and he did not cross-check the information and he uses the information, he should, he should stand by it and take responsibility for that information. In any event, the incident happened on Saturday night. The Honorable Minister's statement was issued on Sunday uh, afternoon. By the time uh, he was issuing the statement, we should have established the facts on the ground to, to take away any uh, allegation or alleged clothing. And for me and uh, uh, for the GJ, we think uh, the Honorable Minister was not being direct with regards to addressing the issue. And if you also read his statement carefully, I do not see anywhere that he specifically condemned the, the what, what happened at the UTV. He, he did not do so, unless somebody can point me to where he did that. And I make reference to the statement issued by the NTT Director of Communication, Richard Anyagba, when you read that statement, I, I, I find it comforting um, more than uh, the Honorable Minister's statement. And those are the, the concerns we, we had. We thought this is something serious that we must address holistically so that we, we don't have a repetition of sin in the future. When the Minister explained to us on the city breakfast show today the steps that were taken by government he explained how he spoke to the media owners themselves he actually spoke to the inspector general of police and uh, the information ministry is a joint complainant in this particular matter these are the steps that they've taken among others that he highlighted are these not enough? What else do we expect from government, really, for, for, for it to be seen that the government is doing something positive in that regard? We were doing a content analysis of two first things issued by the Minister One in respect of the UTV incident and another in respect of um, the Dagmo FM incident in Tamale, which happened uh, on, the, on the night of uh, where press freedom day. And in the two statements, you can see disparity. 
example, in the Dagon uh, case, the uh, statement that indicated that the Honorable Minister spoke to the victim and had offered support to the victim. So if um, the Honorable Minister has spoken to uh, officials of UTV and had offered any support, and it will be um, proper to also capture that in this statement. And so we um, raised concerns about the statement. We wouldn't have known that such test had been taken. And as I said, we are doing content analysis. The content of the two press statements was what we were, we were basing our concerns on. All right, moving forward, uh, the persons have been arrested, they've been granted bail. What more do you want to see as a media fraternity or media association? We want to see the prosecution of the corporate and, and, and the appropriate punishment meted out to them. And we are very much uh, happy, or we, we are had cause to... Uh, happy about how the Dagon FM uh, case was handled. And very speedily, the police arrested the four priests, arraigned them, and the court uh, determined the case promptly. And we think uh, we should have such, uh, uh, such speed to attend this case too. And also because, uh, well, you know, we are going into election 2024. Already, the signals indicate well that the stakes will be very high. So it is important to make that change in the past uh, before we, we carry them over in, in, into the election year, which may not be good for everybody. All right. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Uh, that's uh, Kofi Iyeboa. He's General Secretary of the Ghana Journalists. Association. Let's hear from the National Democratic Congress. He has some concerns with what transpired there and asking for some steps to be taken. Amos Blessing is a greater Accra regional youth organizer of the NDC. Amos, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Uh, what difficulties, and I've seen various statements issued from your national office, uh, as a region, what's your position on this matter? Well, thank you very much, uh, Omar. Good evening. Good evening to your cherished uh, listeners. We won't call it difficulty, but uh, what we are requesting of the regional command is that we need an update on the arrest made so far and the steps they have taken in terms of uh, prosecuting the individuals who were arrested and those who could not be arrested, the steps they've taken so far to apprehend them. But they've been arrested, they've been granted bail. The next step is go to court or report to the police. That's normal procedure. What more do you want to know? That's very true. Um, we our request is made based on precedent. You recall that recently, um, somewhere in the northern region, as um, I think in May this year, a gentleman, uh, two gentlemen actually, uh, stormed the studios of uh, Dagon FM and uh, did a similar thing as the MPP uh, tax did in the studios of UTV. The gentleman was apprehended. And uh, on the 8th of May, uh, by 11th of May, the same gentleman was put before court. And uh, the court found him guilty, convicted him, and they were fined 3,600 Ghana cities. So if, what we are saying is that 
if someone did that and they please speedily apprehended the person and the law dealt with the person, then um, our colleagues from the NPP who also committed similar crimes must also be dealt with uh, expeditiously. No, not that we have a law dealing with persons who are MPP because their party is in government, and we have another law applying to persons whose political parties are not in government. And that is the update we need from the police. So far, apart from the police posting on their Facebook page that they apprehended 16 of them and they were at the police station writing their statements, we have not heard anything from the police. And we must commend the, the police administration under the leadership of uh, uh, IGP Dampari. The Public Affairs Unit has been proactive. They keep the citizen up to date or up to speed on happenings within the police service. But in respect of the arrest made uh, so far, we have not heard anything or what the Public Affairs Unit has been doing. They have not done that. That is the reason why we wrote to the regional command asking for updates on the arrest and what steps they've taken so far. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you very much. That's Amos Blessing, his Greater Accra Regional Youth Organizer of the NDC. Let me say that we've uh, made attempts to hear from the Despite Media Group, owners of UTV, uh, for comments on what happened in their studios. Uh, they said that they are leaving the matter for the police for now. If there's a need for comments, they'll be sharing that with us. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We'll be back with more. Please stay. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You welcome back. This Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. Some of your messages. Daniel Akpaliok in Sandama says the invasion of UTV by supporters of the governing party. Is unfortunate, unacceptable, and highly com condemnable. In fact, this current government has proven to be one that condones violence and lawlessness. Another message from Father SK in Kenya, Sikumasi. He says, those who invaded UTV premises last Saturday should be brought to book. As a deterrent to others, this attitude is becoming one too many. Jones, at boy in law, says, I condemn in no, certain, in no uncertain terms the barbaric act by the MPP hooligans the damage control will not wash. The BOG boss can now differentiate between hooligans and a peaceful demonstration. Ghanaians are not angry enough. Koku Bansa says, whilst we condemn the incident that happened at UTV, we should also equally point out the disrespect of the party that led to all these acts. Um, showbiz should be showbiz. If you want to do politics, let know you are doing politics. How can you open a letter addressed to a media organization on live TV? And management of the station found nothing wrong with that. Zil is doing in London says the attack on the media under this government it's unacceptable. Send your message to 0549-986-996-0549-986-996. Akosia has some other stories. Yes, the Ghana Police Service has arrested the owner of Alka Biotechnology Company Limited, Carlos Matuk, who is the producer of dog feed, Alka Adult and Puppy Beef Meals. Well, the Food and Drugs Authority, FDA, in collaboration with relevant agencies, also closed down the company while ordering the immediate recall of the products. <coughs> the FDA explains that the products came to its attention through reports of illness and death of dogs, 
who consumed the products. All the authority says it is working with the police to investigate the issue while ensuring the safety and well-being of pets. Or the former sanitation minister Cecilia Abnadapa wants the court to award cost gains at the office of the special prosecutor and dismiss the application for the confirmation of the freezing order of her accounts and seizure of some monies found in her home. The NPP politician has accused the office of the special prosecutor of acting in bad faith in seizing her money and her bank accounts in her affidavit in opposition of the OSP's writ in court, the former minister insisted that due process was not followed. There's more on, the f uh, uh, on this uh, statement released by the former sanitation minister. The former sanitation minister argues that the motion by the office of the special prosecutor is absurd, grounded on false allegations and brought in utmost bad faith, and brazen disregard of Act 959 and the court's ruling on August 31, 2023. Madam Cecilia Dapa also indicates that the Office of the Special Prosecutor has not been able to demonstrate in his application that the money seized from her matrimonial home and the funds in her bank accounts are tainted property as defined by Act 959. She also indicates that the condition precedent for the applicant to classify the funds in her bank accounts as tainted property as a result of a specified corruption offence had not been met. In the affidavit in opposition, the NPP politician took the opportunity to outline circumstances leading to the re-seizure of the money and the re-freezing of her bank accounts. She indicated that on September 4, she received a call to report to the Office of the Special Prosecutor at 10 a.m. On September 5, on the said day, she claims to have arrived at the applicant's office premises with her lawyers at 10 a.m. According to her, she was informed that the meeting had been arranged to facilitate the return of the seized money to her as ordered by the court on 31st August 2023. She indicates that she was made to wait to about 2.30 p.m. when the money was released to her at the seventh floor of the office of the special prosecutor. However, within minutes of making her way to the car park with the money, she was directed to return to the seventh floor with the money. She got to the seventh floor and was told by one of the applicant's officers that he had the pleasure to inform her that the applicant was re-seizing the money. The former sanitation minister believes that the office of the special prosecutor has no basis for this application. According to her, her counsel has advised her that the Office of the Special Prosecutor having exercised his administrative powers to re-seize the money and to refreeze her accounts on September 5, cannot justify his suspicions by relying on a caution statement that she gave after the re-seizure and refreezing. She also believes that the applicant, thus the Office of the Special Prosecutor, is a stoked from relying on the same facts contained in the August 8 application which the court dismissed to re-seize the amount of money and to re-freeze her accounts without first obtaining a warrant or court order for a fresh search and or seizure. She further indicates that the Office of the Special Prosecutor has not demonstrated that there is any basis to suspect the money found at her home to be from a corrupt source 
or the funds in her bank account are tainted property or proceeds from corruption or corruption-related offences. Madam Cecilia Dapa also expressed concern as to the failure of the Office of the Special Prosecutor to consider that the funds in her accounts include her earnings from various past employments, pension and treasury bill investment, among others, which in her view cannot be tainted property by any stretch of imagination. She's thus urging the court to dismiss the application with punitive costs against the applicant, thus the Office of the Special Prosecutor, for abuse of the court's due process. Our court correspondent, the Hansen Ajeman, bringing us that detail. There was a standoff between officials from the Northern Electricity Distribution Company of Ghana, NETCO, and the youth of Wanchiki in the Tripani district of the Northeast region following a disconnection exercise. Or the youth claimed they had not been adequately informed about the impending disconnection and thus requested the supervisor to grant them a two-day grace period to settle their outstanding bills. However, the officers declined their request and directed their team to proceed with the disconnection. The assemblyman representing the Wanchiki electoral area, Al-Hassan Abdul Ganyu, spoke to City News on the issue. Once they have given up to two days, you should get, just get patient with them. So that, that two days, if the two days elapses and they didn't pay, you can, have, you can come and then do a, their disconnection. Or, I mean, fall into deaf ears. He didn't listen to me. Then he and the youth has some uh, misunderstanding, and then he went. There is some, dis- I mean, disconnection uh, path around Cheponesa, the district capital. So he went there, and then he has currently, as I speak, he has disconnected the whole community. Meanwhile, as at the time they came, people started trooping in to pay. As at the time they left, they came around uh, 9 to 10. So from 9 to 10 to around 12, thereabout, the money, I, I, you can, they can even count more than 20,000 that they have paid from uh, the people. So I was like, they should get patience so that as they are coming to pay, they will be able to pay enough. And tomorrow they should come back again for the collection. Then third day, they can come and do the disconnection. But all fall into deaf ears. As of now, people have paid, but they are not benefiting from their life. Well, everybody in the community, about 13 communities, Currently, as I'm speaking, is off. That was Al-Hassan Abdul Ganyu. He's the assemblyman for the Wanchiki Electoral Area in the Tripone district of the northeast region. Well, efforts by City News to contact the supervisor for a response proved unsuccessful. But let's still stay with the Electricity Company of Ghana uh, but this time in the central region because the regional directorate of the power distribution company has begun investigations into an alleged assault on a 65-year-old woman by a debt recovery team at Adade in the Goma East District. All this incident follows allegations of another assault on a medical doctor by the same team just last week. Well, according to the victim, the team entered her premises without permission and accused her of connecting power illegally. In an interview with City News, the Central Regional Communications Officer for the ECG, Awal Mama Boy, has said his outfits would oversee the prosecution of the matter. We have some military officers working in the Kaswa enclave or within the Kaswa districts. Now, these military men are not mere military men. They are engineers. And so they are 
supporting ECG with regards to um, a couple of projects we are undertaking. Sometimes when our officers go out to work, um, the environment is some, sometimes hostile. We were not at the scene, so um, I will not be able to really ascertain what really transpired. However, uh, management is carrying out investigations to ensure that um, we will give the full detail in, in, in due course. You had that the Central Regional Communications Officer for the Electricity Company of Ghana, Awal Mama Boy. Now let's come to Accra, where the coalition of lab residents is urging the La Traditional Council to provide updates on the 114 acres of land recently released to it by the government around the Bema Camp catchment area. All those callers on the back of meetings held between the military and the council prompting uh, the military statement claiming that it had not received directives from the Ministry of Defence to release the lands. Well, in view of this, the coalition is worried that the council's silence regarding developments related to the lands suggests council members have been influenced. Addressing the media, Jeffrey Lati, the coalition spokesperson, emphasised that residents are ready to take action if the council continues to remain silent. As we sit here, we are beginning to think that Nimen have been given something. They have taken something and kept quiet. And this is where our strongest warning goes. If Nimen do not take care and just an handkerchief size out of the 114 is taken from them, we shall prove to them that we are the people of life. We are not going to allow for one handkerchief size of that land to be taken. Not an handkerchief size, and I'm repeating this because we are serious on this. That's not an handkerchief size of that 114 acres. We will go as we leave. It will be over our dead bodies. If we have to now fight, we will fight tooth and nail and make sure the entirety of that 114 acres is reclaimed for the people of land. And we will do that. The spokesperson for the Coalition of Lab Residents, Jeffrey Lati. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News. Every market movement and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. It's time for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. I am Akusia Otre. Let's settle for the details. Tax consultant Dr. Alex Mpabing is calling on the government to consider a further reduction in the e-levy rate, which currently stands at 1%. Dr. Mpabing proposes that the government should also contemplate uh, setting the rate within the range of 0.25% to 0.5%. Well, this adjustment uh, is aimed at enhancing compliance and augmenting the revenue generated 
through mobile money transactions. Dr. Mpabin's remarks coincide with the government's plans for a significant overhaul of the electronic transfer levy as part of its medium-term revenue strategy. In an interview with City Business News, he pointed out given recent economic challenges, a further reduction uh, will help stimulate economic growth. Looking at the revenue gap between the 1% and the 1.5, I will go between 0.25 to 0.5. I think within that range, government can use it to test and see what happens in the next 12 months if it's worth maintaining it. But keeping it at the 1% with the current economic challenges, I really do think government has to be more considerate. Things are really tough for people. Uh, and, and the only way out, at least to cushion Ghanaians at this difficult time, is not to overtax, but at least consider uh, reducing the tax rate. Of course, we all understand that we are under the IMF. There's so much challenge, and government having a huge deficit to fill. But raising the rate is not a guarantee, and the E-Levy shouldn't be the only uh, revenue opportunity we are looking at. There are so many avenues. Well, that was a tax consultant, Dr. Alexander. Pabing, well, he further cautioned government against scrapping the 100 Ghana cities exemption threshold. If government takes away the exempt amount and does not reduce uh, the rate, I'm 100% sure that we won't get even closer to the amount that we are generating now. And I think if government is bent on generating revenue, they should consider reducing the rate and also maintaining or at least increasing the, the threshold. Definitely, because see, the moment they remove the threshold, or if they maintain the current rate, people start using all the cash out or walking in distance to do fiscal transactions. And this is no brainer. Already it has failed. You remember at the 1.5 rate, what happened? So it will be more like going backwards to a tax system that's already failing. Tax consultant Dr. Alex Sampabing still on the economy. The government has been urged to expedite steps to conclude its external debt restructuring to help reduce the country's soaring debt levels. Well, last week, the government reached a staff-level agreement with International Monetary Fund, IMF. Well, following the executive board review, Ghana is set to gain access to approximately 600 million U.S. dollars, further bolstering the total financial support provided by the IMF to about 1.2 billion U.S. dollars since May 2023. But with Ghana's total debt surging to $55 billion as of September 2022, economist Professor John Kachi tells City Business News it is crucial for the government to complete its external debt restructuring. It seems the IMF is uh, happy that the government uh, is meeting those targets, except that we have to fast track the conclusion on the external debt restructuring. I believe that is the major hurdle now. And that also shows that we have started seeing signs of uh, recovery for the economy. Uh, we may be seeing upward revision for growth. Because growth is very important for debt management. Growth is very important to 
actually see the full effect of fiscal indicators. Government seems to be satisfying the IMF, and for that matter, a measure that seems to satisfy the boost of government but put pressure on these individuals. And uh, I think that the IMF explained that the scope and the nature of implementation of the domestic debt exchange program is clearly in the hands uh, of the government. They don't have hands in it. Uh, so it is the, uh, the finance minister who determine whether they want to do that, and they have expressed that over and over again. But the indication we get from the briefing is not about domestic debt exchange. It's about external debt exchange. So I believe that is what anybody who is managing the affairs of the country should be focused on. That was economist Professor John Gachi. Now, the Africa Center for Tax Policy Research, ACTA, is pushing for the conversion of the 1% COVID-19 health recovery levy into a critical health recovery levy to address dialysis and other critical health conditions. Well, the center believes that despite public concerns that a COVID-19 health recovery levy is insignificant due to the World Health Organization declaration that the pandemic is no more a global health emergency concern. There is the need for the conversion. Speaking to City Business News, a research consultant with the center, Francis Timoboy, argues that the projection revenue from the levy is substantial uh, to address the dialysis crisis and other health-related conditions. The amount that COVID-19 brings in is quite significant. If you look at 2021, uh, when it was introduced, 760, 776 million cities. Uh, 2022, 1.5 billion cities. 2023, we, we're projecting for close to 2.5 billion Ghana cities. You go to 2024, it's about 4.4 billion. And 2025, it's about 5.6 billion. The amount is quite significant for government revenue. And so instead of scrapping it, the proposal is that there are other critical health that Ghanaians need. You take, for example, the, the dialysis crisis that we are currently experiencing. So our proposal is that instead of scrapping it, let's convert it from COVID-19 recovery levy and possibly rename and say uh, critical health recovery levy so that we can use that money that we, we have just mentioned to go and support or subsidize the cost of the provision of dialysis. Oh, Francis Timoboy also advocated for the removal of taxes on dialysis uh, consumables. These are critical um, essential commodities. And we already have it in the law. If you look at the customs law, there are some essential drugs which are exempted. You come to the VAT law, there are some essential drugs that are also exempted. So the point we are saying is that when add these consumables to those essential drugs so that uh, the minimum 5% custom duty that are impo imposed on these consumables, we can also take it off. In the end, make it more affordable because kidney is such an important function and it unless you get a donor it is so critical that government must take this whole issue uh, to a, a different level it is it is very important that we all sit down and then look at it and if you look speak to the experts the number of people suffering is 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 growing we still have to take some deliberate policy to address this and in in that attempt we have to consider all taxes that can be removed in order to make it more affordable. That was voice of research consultant with the Africa Center for 
tax policy research, Francis Timor Boy. Now, the Dozier Assessor Training Program, a, a component of the institutional and technical strengthening initiative for the Food and Drugs Authority, FDA staff, has been successfully concluded. The training project carried out under the auspices of GIZ uh, was designed to empower FDA staff with essential skills and knowledge in the regulation of vaccine manufacturing in Ghana. Or speaking on the sidelines of the closing ceremony for the training, Dr. Delise Darko, CEO of the FDA, explained that these initiatives represent significant progress towards Ghana's goal of achieving vaccine self-sufficiency and also strengthening its global role in public health. Ghana is trying to manufacture vaccines. The president has uh, a vision that we will become a vaccine manufacturing hub for Africa. In doing so, we as a regulatory agency have to ensure that we strengthen our regulatory system to be able to support vaccine manufacturing. So we, what we will do is that we will support by ensuring that we can inspect the vaccine companies for good manufacturing practice inspections. We would also be able to should be able to review the documentation that comes from the factory, that is dosage evaluation. We'll look at the clinical data, the non-clinical data, and the quality data that comes from the vaccine plant. And then we would also be able, have to be able to release the vaccines once they are manufactured. That is called vaccine lot release. So today's training was basically to look at the dosage evaluation, that is uh, the documentation that will come from the plant. And we've been doing this training from um, July. That was Chief Executive Officer of the Food and Drugs Authority, Dr. Delise Darkon. Well, that's all for City Business News and Eyewitness News, powered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. I am Sugar. I am Akusia Hotre. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight on Point Blank, we have two issues. We talk about the education sector and also the finance sector. We start with the finance sector. Aggrieved customers of Gold Coast Fund Management have issued notice of a demonstration starting tomorrow to compel the government to pay them their monies owed for the past five years. What is the backstory? What exactly are they planning to do? Charles Nyami is a convener of the group. Charles, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Omaru, thank you very much for the opportunity given us. Gold Coast Fund Management, um, you were victims of the financial sector cleanup, right? Yes, please. Which one? The one targeting fund management companies? Uh, under the Securities and Asian Commission. Okay. Um, your company was owned by which group? My Dr. Vakosindu. That's Indum Groups of Company. So you are under the Indum... Was that a Black Shield one? 
Yes, it was it was initially Gold Coast Fund Management and later on rebranded to be Black Shield. Okay. Now you were investing monies with this company. You are right. Before it was uh, dissolved. Yes, Lee. What has happened since then? Omaru, uh after the dissolution of the company, uh, the government made us submit claims of our investment to uh, the Consolidated Bank of Ghana. That was validated for us in 2019-2020. Afterwards, the Speed Financial Commission made a budget of 8 billion cities for our total payment. This 8 billion was captured in... Uh, the financial budget of the country, that is mid-year 2020 uh, budget, captured 3.1 billion for approval, and the parliament approved the amount. When the parliament approved the initial 3.1 billion, going into the election of 2020, on 18th November 2020, uh, the government started something called partial bailout with that initial amount of uh, 3.1 billion. And this 3.1 billion saw customers getting a capped amount of 500, uh, sorry, 50,000 Ghana cities, which means that customers who have investments not more than 50,000 will get all their money, and customers who have investments beyond 50,000 will get only 50,000 as initial payment. So that was done. And subsequently, in the 2021 main budget, the government also budgeted for another 5.5 billion for our payment. In fact, when you read the uh, budget statement, page 86, 87, and 88, both Coast Fund Management and other fund management companies were mentioned specifically that these monies are meant for our full payment in the budget. And the Parliament House approved it. So if you total this 3.1 billion that was initially approved and uh, uh, 5.5 billion, the total will be 8.6 billion. It means that the parliament has approved the budget made by the Security Commission in excess of 600 million. Documents available in public domain shows that the finance ministry is claiming that it has spent a total amount of 26 billion in paying customers of uh, customers who sell uh, for the financial cleanup exercise. When you try to look into the component of these three, uh, 26 billion, you will realize that the 8.6 billion that was approved for our full payment, customers who sell under the Federation Commission, has been added to this 26 billion. It means that. Money that was approved for our payment has been raised by the finance ministry, spent by the finance ministry. Meanwhile, we did not receive our full payment. And the finance ministry and the state financial commission have been successfully deceiving the public that the case is in court. They are looking for liquidation order before they can pay us. Meanwhile, taxpayers' money, totaling $8.6 billion, that could pay us in excess has been raised by the finance ministry, and we don't know where the finance ministry sent this money to, who and who they pay them with this money. As we speak now, we have over 61,000 of Gold Coast Fund Management customers yet to be paid in full. 
We have customers, some customers who have investment portfolio of 1 million Ghana cities, 2 million Ghana cities, up to $10 million. And they have only been given 50,000 Ghana cities. Meanwhile, money for our full payment is with the finance ministry. And they are deceiving the public that they need liquidation order before they can pay us. So where did they send the taxpayers' money that was meant for our immediate payment? These are the reasons why we can't sit down. It has been five years now. We have over 800 of our customers who were old people, died and gone. These are those that we have evidence of the obituaries. This is the reason why tomorrow we are going to the Ministry of Finance to carry them for 48 continuous hours non-stop. And we, we demand the finance ministry to advance money to the commercial bank because accounts have been already created for all the customers at the various branches of the commercial bank across the nation. Within the 48 hours, they should advance money to commercial banks to credit our accounts and we will leave the place. That is our, our mission there. You do have the full complement of the customers, don't you? So that there's a possibility some people have been paid who are not members of your association, so you may not know about it, so that you, you should not think that even though funds have been released, these funds have not reached their beneficiaries. Please, I know what I'm talking about. I'm talking according to the facts and figures of the National Commission. According to the National Commission, there is over 70,000 of customers of Gold Coast Fund Management have been paid with money less than 2 billion Ghana cities out of the 3.1 billion that was raised, that was initially approved. The 5.5 billion that was approved in 2021, disbursement has not taken place. You see, this initial payment was done in 2020, the year 2020. Before the approval of the 5.5 billion. And after the approval of the 5.5 billion, no disbursement has taken place. But they claim, if you, if, if you digest the component of the 26 billion they claim they have used to clean up the financial sector, this 8.6 billion, that's supposed to pay us in full, it's part of it. That is the issue that we are raising, that we need the media to interrogate the finance ministry on that angle. What is the component of the, of the 26 billion? If our 8.6 billion is inclusive, why did they divert the, uh, the, the money? And what did they use the money for? These are the questions, legitimate questions that we want you to probe into for us. Okay. Tomorrow's mass action that you are planning, do you have the have you notified the police about it? Have they responded to you? Yes. In fact, we notified the police about a month ago. And today at exactly eleven thirty in the afternoon. We met the Accra Regional Police Command. The road is clear. We have reached agreement, and our demonstration is going to happen. So are you going to be demonstrating, or you are going to picket in front of the ministry? In fact, we are going to be picket in front of the ministry. That's how it's going to be. We will converge at our brass fort because some of our members are coming as far from Kumase, Takrade, uh, the BA, uh, so we all wait for them. We converge at the place. After that, buses are ready there to pick all of us. No one is going to walk on the street to pick all of us. And call, and we will just go to the finance ministry to pick it for the 48 hours. So the police has agreed that you should go to the frontage of the ministry. Because I remember 
there were issues about going to to these places the last time uh some persons wanted to demonstrate that have you been granted permission that you can pick it in front of the ministry or is it at the back of the ministry where exactly at the ministry are you have you been allowed to go to thank you the letter we wrote to the police we indicate that we are going to hold a 48 hours continuous ticketing within the premises of the finance ministry and when we met the police the police have raised no issue to that effect so so we expect that in the premises i mean at the forecourt of the finance ministry that's where we will hold our ticketing all right thank you so much we'll be there with our cameras to see how many people are you expecting to show up though we don't have this we have invited all our customers and we can't tell how many will, will, will turn out very well thank you so much for speaking to us Thank you too for the time you've given us. That's Charles Nyami. He is the convener of the aggrieved customers of Gold, Fund, Gold Coast Fund Management. They plan to demonstrate and also pick it at the Ministry of Finance from tomorrow for 48 hours. <laughs> Let's go to some other stories we have a focus on here. The education sector. The Africa Education Watch has issued a report on the West African Examination Council's WASI, which is a West African Senior School Certificate Examination. Some findings there not looking so good. Kofi Asari is the Executive Director of Africa Education Watch. Uh, Mr. Asari, welcome to Eyewitness News. Good evening, Sandra. Um, good evening to your cherished audience. Tell us about the idea behind this uh, research that you conducted and then share the findings with us, please. Well, last year, we've been monitoring was since 2020. And um, we have been at the forefront of um, advocating reforms to improve the integrity of WASI. Um, in the past year, I mean, since last year, we have seen significant uh, political will being shown by the Minister of Education to confront the issue head on um, by, you know, um, if you like, tackling the bull by the horn. Um, that is bringing in the BNI and now NBI to take over uh, security for printed, you know, questions, which has very, 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 very significantly to a higher extent you know, um, virtually ended the regime of, you know, uh, leakages all over. And we we give that to the minister. But you see, the issue of examination of practice has two streams. So blocking the leakages is actually the upstream issue. There's also the downstream issue of examination hall pollution between um, some recalcitrant teachers, i.e. regulators, supervisors, and the students, where students pay for supervised cheating. Now, this is well documented in the past three years in both all, in all our WASI monetary reports and also in YX reports on WASI. But this year, we realized that because the questions are no longer leaking the way they were leaking in previous years, uh, the, the criminal network has remobilized and has strengthened their efforts in the examination room. 
So students after paying up to thousand cities for supervised cheating and having questions solved for them, transmitted on WhatsApp platforms given to them so that they copy. Um, they also get um, you know protection from the supervisors related in the examination hall. Now the challenge is that WIAC hasn't got the capacity to deploy its external supervisors to all the centers. If there is a WIAC external supervisor at a center, it is sufficient disincentive for this to happen. But by 2022, WIAC was only able to deploy to only 20% of the examination centers, which means that in 80% of the centers, you have virtually GNEF staff manning there as external supervisors, which is not external enough because the GNEF, most GNEF staff have vested interest in the outcome of WASI. And indeed, you are in the media. If you follow the media report, you know that there is no case of collusion or practice that it is difficult not to find a teacher or an immigrator involved. And all these people are senior staff. So um, the issue is about how WAEC is able to get the requisite human resource and deploy all centers for all papers and ensure that the examination hall collusion between candidates and teachers and regulators in some schools do not continue to occur. That is for us the key issue. We have also raised the issue of incentivizing or disincentivizing um, examination fraud. You see, we have two key instruments that are supposed to provide sufficient incentives for teachers who are critical in this industry examination fraud not to participate in same. We have the WIAC law at 719, and then we have the Genius Code of Conduct. The WIAC law is, is a bit outdated, 2006. The dynamics of the of practice has changed very, very significantly between 2006 and now. What we have now is a big, big, big business driven with financial incentives. And so you need to have sanctions that can bite sufficiently you know, to be there and not what we have in the law as 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 as, as penalty units and all that. Mm. If you look at the genius code of conduct, the genius rightfully categorizes misconduct um, as a missing of practice as a major misconduct. Okay, but what do you have? You can be caught for participating in the relation fraud and then you just be suspended. Sometimes you are even cautioned. I know of a teacher who was teaching management in living in a school in the Bono area called St. Jerome Senior High School. The teacher was caught dictating answers to students during was I think in twenty eighteen or so, twenty nineteen. When the thing went through the procedures, the teacher was just giving a minor reprimand. And as we speak, that teacher is now an academic headmaster in another school. And so you can still be punished by being suspended for one month. After doing such a heinous, you know, you know, um, 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 crime, and then you come back and continue because you know the money that you make from it. And so we are encouraging the GES that it has to go for this result. That would be the the boldest step the GES can make to prevent its staff from participating in examination fraud and examination of practice. Once GES staff are sufficiently um, um, disincentivized from participating in this business, the business collapses because they are at the epicenter of the examination hall collusion. 
with students. So for you, the prosecutions should be faster? The, prosecu- the prosecutions are problematic. You, you can check their conviction rate. It's a single digit. We are not getting sufficient conviction rate because of the legal, as I mentioned, the penalty limit in the YAC law is so low that someone who is making 100,000 CDs will just pay this penalty unit without a free. Apart from that, you see, and many times, because I've cited that, I've cited the, the inadequacies in the YAC law, you know, for as being part of the reasons why they are able to get successful convictions. But apart from that, you see, we all know <clears throat> that uh, prosecution will always not be enough if you don't have a spirited police service. People, I mean, that is interested in 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 in, in dealing with this examination for the issue. Look, we have made two different petitions, submitted two different petitions to the Ghana Police Service, the Cyber Crime Unit. Okay, two different petitions in 2021 and I think 2022. Not even a response. Provided hardcore data, hardcore evidence. Okay, places where we went undercover and even recorded. Okay, giving details of people who were selling questions in the days when questions were leaking in 2021, 2020. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. So we haven't seen and we do want to see a much more spirited police service you know, playing a key role in supporting WAIC to prosecute these guys the way the BNI is supporting WAIC, you know, to, 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 to ensure that questions do not leak again. That's one of the things that we have raised in our system. We want to see the police force demonstrate much more, you know, um, interest in ensuring that we have an expedited uh, prosecution of those that we have arrested, you know, according to WAIC's own statement, those that have been arrested you know, for participating in this um, illicit activity. If we are heavy on on, on punishing, you know, perpetrators, I'm sure um, the deterrent factor, you know, will be mm. much more um, um, pronounced than, than the current system where it appears that the incentive is more than okay. the business incentives. Thank you. Thank you for speaking to us. This is a story that we keep an eye on. Thank you for speaking to us. Sir. That's Kofi Asari, his executive director of the Africa Education Watch. And that's how we end tonight's edition of Eyewitness News. My name is Umar Rusanda Amado. I did it with Akosia Autry. Production by Beverly London, Kwabna Wilson, and Sami Wiafi. Technical support from Daniel Squashi and new media support from Edwin Kwakofi. We'll be back tomorrow at 17.30. GMSA. Stay with us. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.